The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast, and it is a busy Monday, busier than usual. The news broke while I was at 29,000 feet between LaGuardia and Pittsburgh International Airport. Landed to a bunch of dings once the phone was back in service. Bunch of tweets, bunch of emails. The Browns finally have euthanized the coaching career of Hugh Jackson, and really, that's what it was. He wasn't going to walk away on his own. It needed to end. It should have ended last season during the year. It should have definitely ended after the season. I've been banging this drum for a while now. And look, on one hand, I feel bad about it because I understand you've got family issues and this is a man's livelihood. On the other hand, this is the life they've chosen, right? They want to be involved in this type of a competitive sports environment where If you succeed, you remain employed, and you thrive, and you get paid a lot of money. And if you fail, you get fired. That's how it works. And you can try to talk your way out of it. You can try to convince people that you're not as bad as your record says that you are. And last year, Hugh Jackson did a masterful job of persuading Jimmy and or D. Haslam that it was all someone else's fault. Right? It's all Sashi Brown's fault, so he's gone, but Hugh stays as if Hugh wasn't part of the problem himself. That's what makes today's outcome so ironic. Because the Haslam's last year thought it was easy enough just to rip off one Band-Aid. This year, they rip off both, dumping Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. Coach and offensive coordinator Kevin Clark from The Ringer had a great tweet. In his last act as the Browns head coach, Hugh Jackson had a power struggle that ended in a tie. And this was coming. I wish that I would have been more forceful about this yesterday when I saw the report from Ian Rappaport of NFL Media. He leaned toward Todd Haley being fired, not Hugh Jackson. My thought was, look, if Jackson is going to pick this fight, this time he's going to lose because Haley is the proxy for John Dorsey. Anything Hugh does to buck whatever is currently in place is the equivalent of taking on John Dorsey, and Hugh is going to lose that fight. Now, if Hugh had won 7, 8, 9, 10 games this year, maybe he accumulates enough power where he's on an even footing with John Dorsey. But as it stands right now, and remember I said last week, this is working out perfectly for John Dorsey because the team is quote-unquote better, but the win-loss record is still not good enough so he can fire Hugh Jackson after the season and bring in his own coach. Well, Hugh decided to take on Haley, and the Haslam's decided to get rid of both of them, and now John Dorsey has Greg Williams as an interim head coach, and I'm surprised it's Greg Williams because of the bounty gate stink. It's been six years ago, so I guess it wears off. 
I doubt that he'd be a legitimate candidate to be the permanent head coach moving forward unless they win a bunch of games down the stretch. And now Dorsey can start from scratch in finding an offensive mind that will relish the opportunity to work with Baker Mayfield. And at one point on PFT Live, Chris Sims raised the possibility of Mike McCarthy getting the job if the Packers fire him. I think there'll be plenty of coaches who want that job. It will make sense to look at the Green Bay connections, the Kansas City connections. What about Eric Bieniemy? He's been praised in his first year as offensive coordinator of the Chiefs for being aggressive. Isn't that what the Browns could use on offense? Hell, it's what the Packers could use. If the Packers are going to dump Mike McCarthy, maybe they hire Bieniemy. Maybe the Packers line up their next coach and then dump McCarthy so they get their guy before Dorsey can get him. There could be a very awkward tug of war between Dorsey and the Packers. Dorsey, a longtime Packers exec. So they did the right thing. They just did it too late. And from Dorsey's perspective, look, he could have come through the door and said, you have to fire Hugh Jackson. But he knew that ownership wasn't ready to do it. They had to come to that conclusion. And I wasn't sure they were going to because from time to time you'd hear Jimmy Haslam say that Hugh Jackson is going to be the coach years into the future. And I guess technically that's accurate because it was partial years. 0.4 years to be exact. So... I think the Browns fans should be very happy. I know my niece, who is a huge Browns fan, had been asking me every week, is this the week he gets fired? Is this the week he gets fired? So I think from the standpoint of being in touch with their fan base, well, it's over. The fan base was ready to get rid of him. I think 0-16, and this applies to Rod Marinelli, who in 2008 coached the Lions to 0-16. It applies to Hugh Jackson and his achievement of 0-16 from a year ago. It applies to any NFL coach that goes winless for a full season. 16-game season. Once that happens, you are unfit to be a coach, head coach in the National Football League. You can be an assistant. You can be a coordinator. You can be whatever, assistant, head coach, whatever. You're unfit to be the head coach. And didn't we see it in Hard Knocks? It was so bizarre, that first episode, when Hugh Jackson is defending his practice of giving certain players rest during training camp, and Todd Haley who has, I mean, he doesn't have the ultimate pelt on the wall, that's a Bill Parcells phrase, but he's got more pelts from the standpoint of wins and division championship, one, as a head coach, but that's one more than Hughes ever had. Hughes been a disaster as a head coach. So Haley advocates not giving these guys rest, not living in your fears, and Hugh played the, this is my show, quickly. Flip that card. You know, the thing about having that card in the deck, a true professional never uses it. A true professional doesn't have to remind everyone else who's in charge. The true professional acts like he or she is in charge, behaves accordingly. And that doesn't mean be an ass, throw your weight around, make a bunch of unreasonable commands. There's a, there's a style, there's a gift, there's a quality to leadership where you just exude the title, your presence, and the things you say combined. You don't have to say, well, you know what, that's a fair point you raised, Todd, but hey, this is my show. We're going to do it my way. That's really not how you resolve a debate. And I remember watching that. It was like, he says, well, we've discussed it. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You've reached a point where 
We know Todd's position. We know your position. There's been no discussion. There's been no resolution. Your position, my position, rock, scissors, paper. I'm the rock. You're the scissors. That's it. I'm the coach. Whatever I say goes. That's how you resolve disagreements in bizarre world. And that's how you ultimately get fired. That's just a, I don't know if it's a symptom. It's a cause. It's just a piece of evidence we can point to as to why it was a complete and total mess in Cleveland, and it lasted too long. As if 1-31 in 31 wasn't enough, the dysfunction between Jackson and Haley says it all. Now, I spoke to someone today with another team, and there's an interesting point that I need to write at PFT, and I'll go ahead and speak about it now. Who's going to be accountable for the decision to hire Todd Haley? Because no one can say that they're surprised that Todd Haley ended up being a complete and total ass. I saw the report that he just wasn't listening to Hugh Jackson, right? He did something to merit getting fired when he would have been the obvious choice to be the interim head coach. He gets fired. Who hired him? Was that a John Dorsey hire? A lot of people think it was. Does this hurt John Dorsey? Does his Does he have lesser standing in the organization now you know he comes with a lot of praise for what he did with the Chiefs and as we see the Chiefs blossom into one of the best teams in the NFL that rubs off on Dorsey and now Baker Mayfield and how he's played that reflects well on Dorsey Denzel Ward when Bradley Chubb was on the board that reflects well on Dorsey Antonio Callaway if he could ever consistently catch would reflect well on Dorsey this Haley situation, to the extent this was a Dorsey suggestion, doesn't reflect well on Dorsey. Unless the genius of it all is, it was kind of like a Trojan horse deal. Let's bring in Todd Haley, and his presence will be the thing that causes Hugh to finally go off the rails so we can get rid of Hugh. And then I'll have to figure out a way to get rid of Haley. Oh, wait, it worked out well. They're getting rid of Haley, too. Because see, if Haley ends up being the interim head coach, which obviously won't happen because he was fired, but if he had been the interim head coach and won enough games down the stretch, you start to get some public momentum, some media momentum for Haley to be the full-time head coach. And I don't think Dorsey wanted that. I think Dorsey already knows who he wants to hire. And I think that person was fully on board with Baker Mayfield being the quarterback. I believe that completely. And I also believe that the Cleveland Browns are in a much better spot now. Look, Hugh's a nice guy, and Hugh, I think, can be a very effective coordinator, but he falls into that North Turner, Wade Phillips category where there are certain jobs in this business you are suited for, and there are certain jobs you aren't suited for. And just because you're really good at one of the jobs short of head coach, just because you're really good at that doesn't mean you're going to be any good as a head coach. And we've seen that time and again. The Peter Principle has played out in professional sports. You rise to the level of your incompetence. Brad Childress, prime example. Sorry, Brad, it's true. He's coaching an AAF team now with Mike Vick as his offense coordinator. Yeah, I give that to two years over under for that thing to last. But that's how it works. And if there was any doubt after Hugh Jackson flamed out in Oakland, there should be no doubt now. And if anyone ever hires this guy to be a head coach again in the NFL, they are unfit to own a team because he is unfit to be a head coach. And sometimes we just have to tell the hard truth. You know, I'd, I'd have loved to have played receiver in the NFL, but I was unfit to do it. Plenty of people out there would like to have jobs in the NFL. They're unfit to do it. They don't have the work ethic. They don't have the abilities. They don't have the skills. They don't have the savvy. They don't have the sense. 
They don't have the God-given attributes that you need to have to be successful. That's how it works. Plenty of fields. You know? People want to be a surgeon. They can't get into college. They can't get into med school. They can't pass the boards or whatever the hell it is they take. You want to be a lawyer? Hey, I really want to be a lawyer. Well, I can't pass the bar exam. Well, I guess I need to find something else to do with my life. There's a, a weird natural order in all the chaos where we all individually end up where we're supposed to be. And Hugh Jackson's not supposed to be an NFL head coach. He can finish out his career as an assistant, and he can be a very valuable member of a coaching staff, a great compliment to a head coach. He can be kind of the guy who, you know, Chris Sims tells the story about John Gruden being very gruff and and difficult, and then there'd be someone else that comes and puts an arm around the player after the player's been chewed out by the head coach and helps balance it out. That's how it works. That's how it should work. And I think that's a role that Hugh Jackson is more suited to. I just don't think he has the basic skills necessary to uh, be a head coach at the NFL level. Maybe it'd work at the college level. I don't know. But it clearly doesn't work at the NFL level. And there's no way any other owner should ever hire Hugh Jackson to be a head coach. Ever, 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 ever. Same as Rod Marinelli, and same as anyone else who goes 0-16. Rod Marinelli's still working for the Cowboys, and I still have this envelope over here on my desk that I, I sealed, I don't know, two years and three months ago, that in five years' time, the Cowboys will be regarded as a... No, the Browns will be regarded as a better organization than the Cowboys, and, and maybe the Browns are getting there now. I think this is a big step in getting there. Cowboys made a change today, though. Paul Alexander is out as the offensive line coach. He's been there since 2016. And Mark Colombo ascends to the offensive line coaching position. Anytime a head coach starts firing assistant coaches, that means the head coach is feeling the heat. Because something's not right in Dallas or you don't do this. And I don't know how much of it's the coaching. And wasn't, I mean, wasn't 2016 the year that they were like really, really good? Right? Let me make sure Alexander arrived in 2016. I'm looking at the record and fact book. Paul Alexander joined the Cowboys. Oh, wait. 2018? He just joined this year. Well, get the hell out then. It's not working. Why did I think he had been there for a while? Maybe I'm thinking of Colombo. Maybe Colombo's been there for a while. If Colombo, Colombo came in 2015, so he's been part of what works well as assistant offensive line coach. So Paul Alexander, short-lived experiment. He is out and the Cowboys trying to get that offensive line better, trying to get the offense better, and off we go. Now, I still don't like what the Cowboys did last week, trading for Amari Cooper, but hey, if you think changes need to be made to the uh, coaching staff in order to improve the team, then you know so be it. Because if you don't make changes, then you're going to be the change that gets made. And I think that's really the bottom line here. Jason Garrett is inching toward the hot seat in Dallas. I got a couple of things to say about Sunday's games, things we talked about during PFT Live, but I want to expand on them a little bit. Both relate to NFC North teams, two teams that faced off in Week 2 and played to a tie, 29-all tie at Lambeau Field. First, the Packers. And I'm writing something about this. I haven't finished it yet. Talked about it earlier today. 
This Ty Montgomery running the ball out of the end zone when he was told not to do it, and the convoluted explanation from Mike McCarthy that the plan was for him to stay in, and eventually McCarthy saying, well, but you have to trust what your players do. No, the players don't get to decide what they're going to do unless the plan is let the player decide what he wants to do. And there aren't that many situations where the player is given the discretion and the autonomy to decide what he's going to do. The plan in that situation was for Ty Montgomery to take a knee. And I think that as Mike McCarthy was explaining it to the media after the game, he realized this is a very, very bad reflection on me. Because I gave an order, and the person to whom I gave the order defied me. So I better make it look like it really wasn't mandatory and that he had some discretion. Otherwise, I look like I'm not in control of my team. There's a scene in A Few Good Men that it reminded me of. When Tom Cruise is interrogating Jack Nicholson about the two orders, right? The don't touch Private Santiago, but we have to get him off the base because he's in grave danger. Is there another kind? Well, if your orders are always followed... Why do you need to get him off the base if you've given the order that he will not be touched? And that's what gets Jack Nicholson all twisted up and culminates in, you know, the climax to the movie. So bottom line is Mike McCarthy's smart enough to know that he can't afford to have the sense out there that he is giving orders that are being defied. So he's making it look like Ty Montgomery had some discretion when in reality he didn't. And there's a report from Mike Silver of NFL.com with some quotes and some F-words and some some flavor that suggests players were pissed off, Aaron Rodgers was pissed off, and that Ty Montgomery had been pissed off because he wasn't being involved much in the offense. So I guess this was his way of going rogue and making something happen. And he did. He definitely made something happen. That was a good game. And the Packers really needed that one because they go to New England this week, then they have a home game against Miami, then they have road games against Minnesota and Seattle. And they haven't won a game away from home yet this year. Flip it over to the Vikings. The Vikings have lost two games at home this year. They've won at Philadelphia. They've been in most of the games they've played with the exception of the, the Bills debacle. The, the thing that I would say to the Vikings, the advice that I would give... And I don't know that there's anyone in position to act on it. What they desperately need at this point is leadership on the field, specifically on the offense. And they're not getting it from the guy with the C on his chest, Kirk Cousins. Because now Kirk Cousins has been playing great for the most part. Once out of every five passes, he'll do something really dumb, like the ball he threw last night to P.J. Williams right into his gut. I know that Stephon Diggs cut off his route, but you know what? He'd have just slammed into P.J. Williams. He had that play read. But after Adam Thielen's fumble, when the Vikings are up 13-10 to 10 and driving to make it potentially 20-10, to 10, at a minimum 16-10 to 10 at halftime, when Thielen fumbles and Marshawn Lattimore picks it up and they run it all the way back and they flip the field and LaCron Treadwell throws his helmet down and gives another 15 yards and puts the Saints in position to score a touchdown, and they go up 17-13 to 13 instead of being down 20-10. to 10. I feel like at that point, the Vikings just gave up. I feel like they accepted, okay, well, eh, not our night. 
And when Adam Thielen says after the game that his fumble cost the team the game, no, Adam, there was a full half of football to be played. You can't go crawl under the bed when you make a mistake in the first half. It'd be different if you'd done it with 107 left in the game. You do it with 107 left in the second quarter, there was still time to recover from it, and great teams do. Great teams look at that as a fluke, and they come back and they put their foot right back on the gas pedal. And I think it created a sense of desperation that they really, that they didn't, it's, and this is what's amazing. Last week against the Jets, they played the field position game until it broke their way in a big way. They were content to play the field position game. So what do they do? They have the ball on their own 45, fourth and one, and they throw it to Treadwell of all people. At least he got his hands on it. I don't know if he would have caught it or dropped it. It was knocked out of his hands by Lattimore, I believe. But you go for it there, you're saying we're desperate. And then the Saints score, and it's 20-13. to 13, And then comes the pick six, a drive or two later. And you can't act like it's over when one big thing goes against you in the second quarter. You can't. Late in the game when it was 30-13, to 13, and the Vikings are driving, and there's five and a half minutes left, and they have the ball on the one, and they huddle. They huddled. And I love Mike Zimmer. I got a ton of respect for him. But you can't defend that, Mike. At at some point you have to say, and maybe he said it behind closed doors. Maybe he didn't want to call anybody out publicly. But maybe, but but still, you, you end up making yourself look bad by defending that. There's no reason to huddle in that spot. And that's on Cousins. That's on John DiFilippo. That's on Mike Zimmer. What are you huddling for? And then they ran the quarterback sneak like they... They decided to use the final minutes playbook of the Giants from last Monday night. So the good news for the Vikings is they have two games against the Lions, two games against the Packers, one more game against, no, two games against the Lions, two games against the Bears, one more game against the Packers. They can win the division. They're going to have to go on the road, though, before the championship game. And maybe that's better. Maybe it's better. Unless you're the one seed Maybe it's better to be the three seed or the four seed. You play the first game at home. You build some momentum. You go take your shot against the one seed or the two seed. And if you beat that team, then you, 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 what the hell? We'll go play on the road. They could win at New Orleans. They could win at L.A. But they cannot act like they're defeated when there's still 30 minutes of football left. And Adam Thielen can't say to the media after the game, I cost us the game. You didn't. That attitude needs to be expunged from Thielen's mind and from the entire organization. Because that is toxic. That is something that will come back again. Right when everything's going well. Oh, shit. Well, it's not our day. No, it can still be your day. So... That's all I have to say about that. I'm going to be on with Paul Allen tomorrow, and I'm probably going to say exactly... What I just said, except shit. I doubt that I'll say that on a show. All right, let me answer some of you. I think I covered everything I want to cover. Talked about the Browns, talked about the Cowboys, talked about the Packers, talked about the Vikings. I don't know what else is out there to discuss at this point. The trade deadlines tomorrow, we'll get into that. Look, I oh, let's talk about Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick for a second. Sunday morning, the thinking was Fitzpatrick may be available in trade. Then after Sunday's game, maybe Jameis Winston is. There's nobody who wants him, though. Who wants to take on a guy who's got an injury guarantee of $20.9 million for next year? Any injury he emerges with from this season that keeps him from passing a physical by the middle of March, you owe that guy $20.9 million. Who's going to take that on? The Jaguars aren't going to take that on. They are trying to create or at least bring back discipline to their team. They're not going to bring back a guy with a history 
of undisciplined behavior. And also, moving him to another Florida team, I don't know that that's the right move either. So who's out there to take him on? I don't know that anybody is. Now, I don't want to jinx anybody, and there's only one game left to be played this weekend, but if one of the starting quarterbacks tonight were to tear an ACL, one in particular whose backup is Brian Hoyer, then maybe all of a sudden there's an interest in Jameis Winston. I don't know. I'd even be surprised by that. But at this point, what the Bucs need to do, since Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starter and Winston is benched, I think you need to put him in bubble wrap and not let him play again this year. Save the $20.9 million. Move on from Jameis. Let Fitzpatrick be the starter the rest of the way and just move on. And if that's the case, try to trade him. But the thing is, I just don't think they'll find anybody to trade him. And then you could also cut him right now. You could cut him. That way you avoid the $20.9 million and go with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Ryan Griffin. I, I was fascinated yesterday. We watched all the games at once. And I noticed Winston, after one of his interceptions, he went over and sat on the bench. And the quarterback's coach came over and sat next to him. And Winston inched away. It was only like 8, 10 inches, but he moved away. And then the quarterback's coach moved closer. And that's when Winston, who was very agitated after the interception... He starts like looking around. You could see he's running the options in his head. He's thinking, okay, what do I do now? And it's Mike Bajakian, the quarterback's coach, who was right next to him. He, he's thinking, what can I do here? I can't get up and walk away because there's probably a camera on me. I can't move any farther. I'm going to fall off the end of the bench. It was really bizarre. And the big knock on Winston, and I have gotten Chris Sims to come around to this thinking. Winston's brain exceeds his brawn. He thinks he can do more than his body physically can do. And far too often we see him on the wrong side of that line. And that's one of the skills any athlete should have. Knowing exactly what the limits of your abilities is. And Patrick Mahomes knows that better than anyone. He stays right up to the edge. He always colors within the line, but he's right on the line. And I think that's one of the challenges for really any Football player, basketball player, anybody who does anything athletic, you have to know what you can and can't do. And I've been in that spot, particularly playing basketball. Like, I was always, when I would play basketball, and I played a lot of basketball when I was younger. It was a great way to get exercise. 85-degree day, you go up to the, the asphalt court, you can feel the heat coming off of it still after a long, hot, sunny day, and it's humid, and you pay you play pickup basketball until you're just drenched in sweat, until you sweat to the point where you can't sweat any longer. And I knew what I could do. What I could do, I could run really fast. I would hustle really aggressively on defense. I could make layups 60% of the time. And if if I was on a certain night, and it was, I don't know, once a month, once every two months, I would I would get like hot in that area in the uh, in the key, not in the key. Yeah, in the in the, in the circle by the free throw line, you know, jumper at the top of the key or in the circle, just nothing all that elaborate. Wanted to have the backboard there in case I put a little bit too much behind it and it would have to bank in. And a lot of times, like I was left-handed and if I was playing with people who didn't know me and I still am left-handed, you move, you move to your left and stop on a dime and fire that. And, and they don't know how to defend that because they're used to dealing with right-handers. And then they realize, oh, we just take away the left and the guy can't do anything. And they were right. Once they started defending me by like completely going over to the side and keeping me from moving to the left, I couldn't do shit. 
But anyway, I knew what I could and couldn't do. And there were times where I would try to do more than I physically could. And it's like, oh, God, what the hell is that? It's like Michael Scott playing basketball. So you know where that line is. That's the genius of that episode. He has no idea where the line is between his physical abilities and what he thinks he can do. Anyway, Jameis Winston from time to time ends up across. And I think I'm going to call it that. That's the Michael Scott line. You become Michael Scott on a basketball court when you do things in any athletic setting that go beyond what you physically are capable of doing. Before we get to the questions, a message from our new friends at OnDeck.com. And this goes out to small business owners who need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading office space. You can get access to capital through OnDeck.com. 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get funding in as fast as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000 none of which require business collateral. The application process is simple, will not impact your personal credit. On Deck delivers some of the best customer service with their U.S.-based loan specialist and has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And they've loaned over $10 billion to over 80,000 small business owners and carry a 9.8 out of 10 rating on Trustpilot and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck is the secure financing service that business owners everywhere can rely on. So if you're a small business owner and need access to capital, go to ondeck.com slash PFT right now. As a listener to this podcast, you'll receive a free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists. So you can apply online or by phone, get approved in minutes, go to ondeck.com slash PFT. That's O-N-D-E-C-K.com slash PFT for your free consultation now. And now we turn to the questions that were posed by the PFT PM Posse for this Monday edition of the podcast. And let's see what we have. First question comes from, and it's really more of an observation, our friend who runs the PFT PM Posse account says, just an FYI, but the Cowboys offensive line coach was fired because the offensive line didn't agree with or adapt well to changes in techniques. Offensive linemen were complaining about it during the museum trip after the Washington loss. Well, either way, Either way, the uh, the Cowboys have changed out their offensive line coach, and we'll see what Mark Colombo can do. Terry Gensler has sent a five-second video of uh, giving the finger to Chris Sims. I approve that. The real Forno, the Vikings lost to the Saints last night, but other than the two Vikings' mistakes, they were outplayed. Are you worried at all about the Saints moving forward? Well, look, the Saints are 6-1. and one. They found a way to win. They did what they had to do to win. They had 120 passing yards, 106 rushing yards. They did what they had to do to win. And they, they made the plays. They forced the mistakes. They made the plays, and they won. And, you know, some nights when things are going well for you that way, you don't need 300 passing yards. I mean... Russell Wilson threw the ball 17 times yesterday, and the Seahawks won by 14 in Detroit. And I went back and looked to see when he has had that few passes in the past. He had 17 throws in November of 2014, and they won 38-17 to over the Giants. He had 13 throws in 2012 when they beat the Cardinals 58 to nothing. So sometimes you don't need to do much if everything else is going your way. Sean Alvishire, the Aaron Rodgers window, only has five good years left. Will the Packers finally make a move and get a more innovative head coach for Aaron Rodgers this year? I think they will. I I think if they don't make the playoffs, I think Mike McCarthy is out. Luther King, if the Packers don't make the playoffs, will the mistaken kick return get the head coach at Green Bay fired? And if so, 
what can they get for Ty Montgomery and trade? I don't know if they're going to trade Montgomery. I wouldn't be surprised if they cut him. At a minimum, he shouldn't be returning kicks. And as I said, this is a reflection on McCarthy. You can't say the plan is to take a knee, but the player can make decisions and we trust players to make decisions. You don't trust players to make decisions. You want the players to be robots. They're supposed to execute their assignment as it is given to them. They get graded on whether and to what extent they execute their assignment, and Montgomery didn't execute his assignment, period. A red zone out. What's happening to the Jaguars lately? Locker room fights last week and then off-field issues here in London are Marone and Coughlin losing this team. I don't know what's going on. I admire the fact that Marone is taking responsibility for what transpired in London with the $64,000 bar bill, and they were detained, not arrested. NFL Network, over the top. And, and I don't know what the play was there. I really don't. But they were arrested. The statement from the London Metro Police was they were arrested. Anytime you are detained against your will, you're arrested. And... Apparently, a resolution was made where the money was going to be paid, and that's when they were let go. It's a bad look. The fact that it happened at 4 a.m., a very bad look. And yeah, Doug Marone has said they're going to pay closer attention to what these guys do when they're not on the field, when they're not in the facility. Well, why weren't they already doing that? Nick Lamarca, is there a consequence for Le'Veon Bell showing up week 10, playing the remainder of the regular season, and going back into his hole when the playoffs start? We, we went down that hole last year. I think that they could suspend him but he's already gone, right? They could have, like, if he'd have done it last year, they could have held over him the possibility of suspending him this year under the franchise tender if and when he ever showed up. This year, if he walks away, and they're not going to tag him again for next year, they would transition tag him at the most, which would give them a right to match, and they would probably not exercise that because you could very easily put together an offer sheet they can't match. So let's assume this is it for him. Let's assume he finishes the regular season, shows up the Tuesday after week 10, finishes the regular season, and then says, hey, you know what? Either you sign me to the contract I want or I'm out. And they're not going to sign him to the contract he wants because they have James Conner making peanuts and doing a good enough job. So if he just walks, I think they could find him a game check, maybe a game check for every game he misses. I don't know. But the bottom line is, at that point, there's really not much they can do. And there's nothing they can do to keep him from becoming a free agent the middle of March if he just walks away. So maybe he gives back some of the money he earned. But at that point, once you've given up 10 game checks at 855000 each, I think if you have to pay back some money in order to preserve your body and not expose yourself to higher intensity playoff games, I think it makes a lot of sense. Sergio D, can you protect the value of a traded pick? Could Dallas have said to the Raiders, we trade you a round one pick to the value of pick 20. If Dallas stumbles and holds pick 10, then Raiders give back value of draft points between pick 10 and 12, same way that NBA trading can protect lottery picks. I mean, I look, I, I think that there's no limitation on that. For example, they could have done a deal where the Cowboys say, we'll give you a first round pick unless it's top 10 then it becomes a two and a four or something like that. They could have done that. But the problem is once you tie up different picks with all those conditions, you put yourself in a position where you can't do other business because you have to let these conditions resolve and those picks get caught up in that. And I don't think teams like to tie their hands that way, but they could have done something like that. The real C.J. Newman, serious question, who the hell is Freddie Kitchen? Well, serious answer, he's the new offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. So... 
look, I, I don't expect much out of the Browns the rest of the year. The, the, this is a folding of the tents. I don't think they expect to win many games. I think they're just looking for the kind of progress necessary to carry over into 2019. And I think by next year, they'll be competitive. Terry Gensler, has Adrian Peterson's success been due to missing so much time due to injury suspension, or is he just the unicorn of his generation of running backs? Well, there's another unicorn of his generation of running backs, and his name's Frank Gore. Frank Gore's even older. Frank Gore has more career rushing yards. I think Adrian Peterson is a freak of nature, and I don't think the time he missed in 2016 due to injury or 2014 due to suspension has any impact on how he is or isn't playing now. I think he'd be doing this right now. And I love the stat that he joins Jim Thorpe, Rocky Blyer, and Steve Bono as the only players in league history to have a 60-plus yard touchdown age 33 or older. Steve Bono. And Sims remembered the play. I don't remember the play. It was from October 1995 when Bono was with the Chiefs. Tom G. Post, should the Eagles still be all in on a repeat or should they be saving draft picks? Uh, draft picks, I think, is the word you're looking for there. To build for the future, how would you handle the dilemma of being just good enough to still have some hope? I mean, if you could get a major upgrade to the running game, you do it. Major upgrade to the passing game, you do it. Second round pick, they have two of them. I just don't know that they can pull it off, but I think they're trying. Black 88 Elite, where does Todd Haley go now besides the bar, of course? I think he's run out of chances. I don't know that anyone wants to bring him in as a position coach. He'd be too disruptive. I, I, I just think the book on him is he's too disruptive. You know where he goes? The XFL. Wouldn't he be perfect in the XFL? I think that's where he goes. That's a guess. Mike likes dirt. The Patriots are right up against the salary cap, so who could they possibly deal to make a move for some talent speed on defense without going over? They have about $5 million left but they've got mouths to feed, i.e. incentives to pay. But the way the incentives work, the way they've done the incentives, I think they're structured so they would hit the cap next year. So if there's cap money this year, they could still use it. And you can make more cap money if you really want to. It's not all that hard to do a simple restructuring. Stephon Gilmore's deal could be restructured. There are other big money players out there where they could move money around if they really want to. So, yeah, I know the thinking is they may look for some help defensively. So maybe they have a chance, a better chance to slow the Chiefs down if they get together again. They gave up 40 points, and they've had some some games this year where they've given up too many points, and there's a thought that the defense just isn't good enough. Burn unit, why won't the NFL sell individual streaming rights directly to the fans per season? I would pay $100 to stream every crappy 49ers game, then pay an arm and leg for the NFL package. Look, I... I have heard all sorts of theories about where the TV deals go from here. And at one point, I heard that there was a possibility the NFL would just sell streaming rights directly to fans. That that the league would cut out the networks, cut out the middleman, cut out everyone. And we would watch games through some sort of NFL-owned and operated apparatus that would make the games available to us directly. But you know what happens when you do that? Then you become a network, a full-blown network, a network that has to have an advertising department that sells the advertising the way that major networks can. And, you know, part of the problem is the networks pay a huge premium. And sometimes they do make money on these TV deals, but a lot of times it's just a write-off because they use that as a vehicle for promoting their own shows. And... What else? I mean, what's the NFL going to do? What are they going to promote, right? 
um, they don't have a lineup to promote. So the networks will pay for that opportunity, for that power to push their new shows. And I, so I don't think it comes to that. Now, is it frustrating that you can't just get all the Niners games, all the Browns games, all the Bears games? That's frustrating. Or just go one game at a time. Although I guess DirecTV was trying to get people to do that yesterday to pay $49.99 per game. DirecTV's got to get things buttoned up. After this merger with AT&T, I just don't... It just... Uh, let me tell you, from my own experience, I I have a hard time every time I have to call customer service. I have a hard time navigating their electronic user interface. And I've got two accounts. I've got one in my house and I've got one in my barn. And I've tried to merge those. I've tried to get those all on the same bill. I've tried to get everything together. And, and, and it's it, it's... I waste half hours of my life at a time just trying to get that process off the ground. So they need to do better with customer service. They need to do better with a lot of things. And, you know, the NFL may look elsewhere for that Sunday ticket package. Black 88 Elite, should Ty Montgomery be cut? No, but he should not be returning kicks. On tour forever, what's your over-under on the number of trades before tomorrow's deadline? Mine is 2.5. I'll go 3.5. Let me go 3.5. And and also, remember, get the paperwork in by 4 p.m. I got to write that post. The cautionary tale. Although I still think Sashi Brown did it on purpose. The A.J. McCarron trade that wasn't, remember that? They screwed up the paperwork accidentally. Accidentally my ass. Black 88 Elite. If Saquon Barkley was getting 25-plus carries a game, what would the Giants record be? I feel like if they were a run-first team, they'd be playing a whole lot better. Your thoughts? Well, here's what I think. I think that... And I said this last week during the Falcons game on Monday night. It feels like the Giants' plays come from a random generator. That I don't sense that there's a flow, that there's a strategy, that there's a broader theory and approach to the way they do things. I just don't see it. I don't sense it. I don't feel it. And I think that Saquon Barkley should be the centerpiece of the offense, the way that Ezekiel Elliott is in Dallas, the way Adrian Peterson was in Minnesota. Just ride that guy. This is from Sashi89M. The rest of the season for the Chiefs includes the Raiders twice, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Chargers, and away at the Browns and the Seahawks. Besides the Rams, who do you think is more likely to beat the Chiefs? The Ravens at Arrowhead or the Seahawks in Seattle? Do they play the Ravens at Arrowhead in the regular season? I've been saying for a while that if the Ravens make it to the playoffs and they play in Kansas City, that could be the end of the run for... And here's Baltimore, December 9. I think Baltimore would have a chance to beat them. And I think definitely in the playoffs. You know, they, I said today that the Ravens and or the, the Patriots and the Chiefs have a Joe Flacco voodoo doll that they're just jamming pins into uh, because uh, the Ravens at 4-4, four and four, no teams in the AFC more delighted by that development than the Chiefs or the Patriots. Terry Gensler, SB Nation, said the Steelers hope that Philadelphia rekindles trade talks for Le'Veon Bell. Is it too late for the Steelers to make any type of Bell trade? Well, it's almost too late because here's the thing. Bell's got to be on board for it. You've got to get Bell to say, okay, I'll do it. I'll take whatever offer Philadelphia is making. I'll do it. It's not impossible. But if he just show, if he doesn't want to be traded, and the reports have been that he wants to play for the Steelers, if he just shows up before tomorrow at 4 p.m., they could trade him. And uh, then he screwed. Brady wants to know, 
How does Greg Williams have any job in the NFL, let alone interim head coach? I was surprised he ever got back in. He must be one hell of a coach. Because not only was he in the middle of the bounty scandal, he testified against players in the proceedings that ultimately resulted in no suspensions, only because Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner appointed to be the arbitrator, decided that the commissioner was overreaching, the current commissioner was overreaching. But Greg Williams testified against players. I thought that was the kiss of death. I thought he was done. I just think a lot of players never knew about it or they didn't understand it. It's amazing to me that he's still a coach, and I'm amazed that he's the interim head coach. Black 88 Elite, thank you for reaffirming my faith in Adrian Peterson. He's been killing it on my fantasy team's hashtag, Florio Knows Best. But I need to print that out on a piece of paper and laminate it, just like Drew Brees' all-time career passing yardage, Mark. Terry Gensler, 14, is Demarius Thomas passive-aggressively asking for a trade? He could be. I mean, he acts like he's all torn up about the talk that he may be traded. If you're traded, you're traded to a contender. You should be happy about that. I'm surprised he wasn't traded before the season to the Patriots. I think the Broncos could have gotten more for him before the season, and I think Cortland Sutton could have stepped in for him. Whatever they get now will probably be less than what it would have been in August, especially if the Patriots are the target, because now the Patriots have Josh Gordon. The Real Forno, did the Ravens-Panthers game show that the Ravens were more pretenders or that the Panthers are legit? Look, I don't think it shows either because that was going to be a tough spot for Baltimore anyway. Going into Carolina and trying to win there, that's one of the spots where the Vikings lost last year. That's a tough spot to win. And I I think the Ravens definitely have work to do, but I I, I picked the Panthers. The Panthers were getting points in that one. I was like, what the hell is going on? And I'm glad that for a change... The squirrel is eating acorn. On tour forever. Are we going to see an all-time low in ratings for the Niners-Raiders game this Thursday? Hashtag I have laundry to do. Yeah, you know what? The only reason I'll be watching it down in the barn is Thursday night is the 17th anniversary of the launch of ProFootballTalk.com. And it's fitting that a game between the 1-6 Raiders and the 1-7 49ers will be on TV. But I plan to smoke a very large cigar... I plan to drink some beer and some whiskey. I plan to eat some chicken wings or some pizza. And I plan to have a good old time Thursday night because it was the 17-year, it will be the 17-year anniversary of when we got this thing going. The Real Forno, even though he isn't employed by a traditional owner, how hot is Mike McCarthy's seat in Green Bay after yesterday? It's getting hotter, and I think if he doesn't make the playoffs, I really have a feeling he's going to be gone. I really think that Mark Murphy, who now directly supervises Mike McCarthy, I think he's going to make a change. Adam Nanini, with the importance of improving through the draft and the savings that comes along with it, why don't more teams blow up their rosters when they know the season is done at the trade deadline? Example, Bill's shipping off Kyle Williams, Jerry Hughes, LaShawn McCoy, and Lorenzo Alexander. Well, first, you have to find trade partners. And second, you have to be ready to admit that it's over. Last week, the Giants and Raiders essentially admitted that it's over. If the Bills win tonight, maybe it's not over. They'd be 3-5. and five. Patriots would be 5-3. and three. Maybe it's really not over. If they get blown off the field tonight, it's time to sell. It's time to sell like Duke and Duke. You know, Shereen Williams said on Friday's PFT Live that if the Cowboys had beaten Washington last Sunday, they would not have traded for Amari Cooper. It just tells you what one game can do from the standpoint of creating desperation, from the standpoint of keeping a potential buyer from becoming a potential seller. 
So I like that. I like that one game can change a team's entire mindset. But I'm a firm believer. If you're tearing it down and you're trying to rebuild, tank away. Get more lottery tickets. Low value, not low value, maybe high value, but low cost players who can come in and be the nucleus of your team for the next four or five years. I like that. On tour forever, why would the Browns hi- fire, hire, fire Hugh midseason? They're delusional if they thought they'd turn a corner and become a playoff team this year. So why not fire him either before the season or wait until the end of the year? Uh, look, I think that John Dorsey wanted to fire him at the end of the 2017 season, but ownership wasn't ready to do it. Ownership had to get to the point where ownership decided on its own that it was time to go. And John Dorsey was patient. And I think once that iron was hot, John Dorsey knew it was time to strike and get him out of there. And with Greg Williams, who probably won't be a serious candidate to be the permanent head coach, now Dorsey can get ready to hire whoever he wants. And he can get a head start on the process of hiring who he wants. Just like the Browns did last year after they fired Sashi Brown. It gave them a head start on hiring Dorsey. Remember, they hired Dorsey at a time when it looked like the Giants were going to be very interested in Dorsey. And they hired Dorsey during the season because he was available. Now, they're not going to hire a permanent head coach during the season, but they're going to be ready to go as soon as the season ends. The Real Forno, any leaked info on who Dorsey wants to replace who? I, I, Hugh, I haven't heard anything yet. Haven't heard anything yet. Terry Gensler, but, but I, I look at that Packer, Cabal, Chiefs connections. Usually it's someone that the guy has been in a position to work with, observe, or know well enough that... He's comfortable making that move. Because if you don't know the guy, you're really taking a chance. It's going to be a potential disaster. Terry Gensler, John Dorsey is officially in charge of the Browns right now. Correct. Yes, he's in charge. He is in charge. I still want to know what, if any, accountability will flow to him because of the Todd Haley hire. And has he lost any of his any of his credibility with the Haslams if he was the one who recommended Todd Haley? Icaro Franco, how much does having three different offensive coordinators in the beginning of year two hurt Mayfield's development? I I think Baker Mayfield will be fine. I think whoever he gets with next year, that offense is going to be the offense that he has for for years to come. And I look, I think that there will be coaches out there who want to try to position themselves to get to Cleveland. Right? I, look at it this way, and and I know nothing. I've heard nothing. And, and here's the way the world works. The process of quietly finding out who is and isn't interested in this job will begin now. And even though there's a certain protocol they're going to have to go through, satisfy the Rooney Rule, wait until the season ends, they will have a good idea of who wants the job, who doesn't want the job, and who they're going to hire before the season ends. And remember, the Dolphins were all in on Baker Mayfield. And if Adam Gase feels like the window is closing on him. Maybe he's the guy to go to Cleveland. And maybe it's a mutual parting with the Dolphins and he lands in Cleveland the next day or or as close to the next day as possible given the realities of the Rooney Rule. The, uh, all I know is this. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And John Dorsey will know. I think he already knows who he wants to hire and he will know who he's getting before the process begins of officially replacing the coaching position. Jerry Bissett, do you ever listen back to interviews, PM podcast, live show to self-scout yourself? I can't do it because I hate the sound of my voice. 
I, I, I look at it this way. If there's anything I need to know, Matt Casey will tell me. Stats can tell me, but I don't listen to him. I'll listen to Matt Casey. I just can't do it. Now, every once in a while, there'll be a segment that I really liked, and I'll go back and I kind of like, ooh, do I, really, do I really want to listen to this to confirm that I liked it, or should I just carry around the memory that it felt good when I was doing it? Every once in a while, there will be a segment that I am proud enough of. It doesn't happen very often. Trust me. It does not happen very often. I'll be proud enough that I want to go back and hear it and try to understand how I got into that mindset, into that moment, and how I made it all work. Because maybe I'll pick something up and I can do it more frequently. But trust me, it doesn't happen often enough for me to even remember when the last time was that I did it. There are little things you can pick up, though. Your voice is an instrument. On top of everything else, you have to use your brain. You have to know what you're going to say and when to say it. You have to have some semblance of a sense of humor. And you know, all of this is like, what's that show with Drew Carey and the short, bald guy and the tall, big bird-looking guy? Whose line is it anyway? A lot of what I do... And I don't know how much I want to pull back the curtain here. I've been going for almost an hour. Let me just go ahead and be candid with you because I don't care. Nobody's listening anyway. A lot of what I do in this setting and on PFT Live has minimal planning. Minimal. Now, when I first started doing radio for Dan Patrick, I had to have everything planned out, every segment planned out, every take. Some things I'd wanted to be worded a certain way. And it's like, well, I got to say it that way or it's not going to be funny. Now... What I did today, here's what I did today. I sat down here a minute before we connected with Culver City. And I typed four words into a document on my computer. Browns, Cowboys, Packers, Vikings. That was the extent of my prep. Now, it may show in the outcome, but I don't think about what I'm going to say ahead of time. And I try in the moment to come up with things that I think are entertaining, come up with things that I think are informational, come up with a way of delivering it that will be engaging. There is a way that you can use your voice. We were talking about this yesterday because there are some announcers who are always loud and excited and it never varies. And I said to Chris Sims, you would think that, and I won't say who it is, you would think that X would at some point in the course of making it this far in his career have been coached on the value of modulation. And of course, Sims responded by saying, I don't know what modulation is. But you know, I've been doing it now for the last couple of minutes. Varying your speaking pattern. Varying your pace. Speed up. Slow down. Take a deliberate pause without feeling compelled to go, ah. Filling the silence with, ah. Ah. Andrew Luck style. Dearest mother. Boy, let me tell you something. Then I'll move on. The Chris Sims, Captain Andrew Luck thing that he does, where every week as the Colts game approaches, we find the Captain Andrew Luck Twitter account and we make a graphic out of one of the tweets. And 
Sims reads it, and it sounds, as Matt Casey said, like British Dracula. It is so bad that it's good. It is hilarious. Dearest mother, like it sounds nothing like anyone from the South or anyone from the Civil War era. It is really, really funny. Speaking of the Civil War era, while I'm in this neighborhood, Free State of Jones, the Matthew McConaughey movie, it's on Netflix right now. I, it's not like mind-blowing, best movie I've ever seen, but uh, it's worth your time. I learned a lot from it, and and I think it's it's a it's a good it's a good movie with a lot of lessons to carry over to some of the crap we're dealing with in today's society. All right, what other questions do we have before we piss anyone off? Draymond Blame is the cl- oh by the way, uh, Jerry Bissett, I'm not sufficiently proud of the last ten minutes, and I'm going to go back and listen to it afterward. Draymond Blame is the clock ticking on Vance Joseph or anyone in the Broncos organization. Well, I think Vance Joseph is in trouble. And I think Vance Joseph could be fired during the season or at the latest after. Remember, the Broncos have not had back-to-back losing seasons since 1971-1972. And last year they were 5-11. and This year they're 3-5 and after starting 2-0. and And I still think if they had an owner right now, John Elway would be in real trouble. And there's some stuff going on with this ownership thing that I'm going to write about. I may talk about it on tomorrow's PFT Live or PFT PM. There's too many other things happening today. I know some things, and I believe some things about who the next owner is going to be and when that's going to happen and what's really going on behind the scenes right now. There will eventually be another Bolin who owns the Broncos. The question is when, but that's what Pat Bolin wanted. He did not just hand the team to one of his one of his kids. He has created a trust where the trustees will decide when one of his kids is ready, and I think they know who they want to pick. It's just a question of when. And then when that person is in charge, what does that mean for John Elway? What does that mean for anyone else? Who knows? Fittison Kane, from what you've heard in league and team circles, is this shaping up to be a huge trade deadline or a more modest one? I, I, I think probably modest. I think because there's already been some activity, we expect more. I don't think that's going to happen. It may slow down. I said, what was the over-under? Three and a half? My over-under is three and a half, and I really don't know whether I'd take over or under, which makes it a good over-under. On tour forever, do you think the Bucks will put Winston on the shelf like Washington did with RG3 so they don't have to pay his injury guarantee for 2019? I already addressed that. Yeah, I mean, just as a quick refresher, if you're not going to trade him and if he's not going to play, you put him in bubble wrap and you keep him from getting injured so you don't have to pay him the money next year. Terry Gensler, 14, I've noticed recently there have been on-air comments that you're a Vikings fan. Does that bother you? Is NBC okay with that? On Tour Forever responds by saying Tony Dungy is an unabashed Colton Bucks fan, and it comes through, so I think that wouldn't be a problem. Look, my own approach has always been to be neutral, and I am neutral. I grew up a Vikings fan, and I was a rabid Vikings fan before I got into this business. And one of the things I don't like about the fact that I got into this business is that if you're going to do it the right way, and if you really are engaged in it, you lose the zeal that you used to have. Now, is there still... Part of me that wants that nine-year-old, 10-year-old Viking fan that cried into the carpet after Drew Pearson pushed off on Nate Wright and Tony Dungy was talking about that last night. He was rooting for the Vikings in the 70s when he was at the University of Minnesota when Drew Pearson pushed off on Nate Wright. I mean, part of it is, and, and that's like those moments for me, they, they rekindle a feeling, and I'm going to get myself upset, but they... Re- they rekindle a feeling of a time that's gone forever. And it's a connection back to that, if that makes any sense whatsoever. All right, moving right along. 
Terry Gensler, 14. Should the NFL go back to sudden death overtime if they eliminate the coin toss and give the decision to defer or receive to the team with the most yards? That's too gimmicky. That's too gimmicky. I just think they should do ball on the 10-yard line, first and goal, and you got to score, and you got to go for two, and it'll be done quickly, and it'll be exciting, and they're too freaking stubborn to think outside the box and do something that would make. Here's the thing. Let me let me let me do my little baseball rant, because some baseball people got pissed at me when I said that, you know, after that that game that lasted until what 4 a.m. on Friday night that I watched none of, that that in this day and age unlimited extra innings that could go on, well, given the term unlimited, could go on forever. That's not a way to resolve a baseball game. And any of the games played could be this way. You could have a seven-hour, and I know it doesn't happen very often, but you need to guard against that. You don't want one of your marquee games to last seven and a half hours. Nobody wants that. This isn't 1925 when there's nothing else to do. It's very different. Think about it. Think, go, to a, go to your local courthouse if it's been there for a while. If it's been there for 50 or 60 years, go to your local courthouse and marvel at how many seats are there. If it's like a 100-year-old courthouse, you'll be amazed. You know why? Because nobody else had anything else to do. So they wanted to have their nose in everyone else's business, so they went and sat in court all day and gawked at all the people who were in trial because there was nothing else to do. Baseball is a vestige of the days when there was nothing else to do. And if they want to make this sport viable at a time when there is plenty of other things to do at any given time, you better find a way to make the game move faster. You better find a way to make it more engaging. Now, betting will help. Betting will turn every baseball stadium into basically a high-life fronton where you show up and bet on anything and everything. You bet on balls and strikes, and it keeps it moving. But, you know, until, and even then, nobody wants to be there seven and a half hours. No, and I don't know what the resolution would be. I don't know how you, I don't know, you resolve it with a home run derby. I don't know. Feats of strength? I don't know. That's not my business. If baseball wants to have an outdated format, an outdated length of season, out, you know, the purists are going to kill baseball. That group that, that it always has to be the same so we can have apples to apples comparison to statistically over the decades and years and centuries. Eventually, there's not going to be any more baseball. They're going to have to break from that at some point. The, the demographic is even older in baseball than it is for football. And football has changes to make, but that's, that's, that's my concern. But, but, but the point is this. The NFL's overtime system sucks, and the NFL needs to change it. And the NFL could revolutionize it and make the game a hell of a lot more exciting and draw in kids who would be rooting for overtime. Because then everything changes. You got the ball at the 10, you got four plays to score, and you have to go for two if you score. I mean, another possibility would just be go for two. Back and forth, go for two like penalty kicks. Just go for two. I think I've even floated that idea before. Just go for two. Didn't, didn't, didn't I? Like, oh, I, I've said, you know, I, it's so funny. When you do this all the time, you forget the shit that you came up with years ago. I had an idea at one point that to resolve a tie, you should have on one end of the field, offense and defense. On the other end of the field, offense and defense. And you just go back and forth going for two. Just boom, 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 boom. Back and forth going for two until somebody makes it and somebody doesn't. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? 
and it would be fast, and there would be a winner, and you could use the same format for regular season as postseason. There's always going to be an inherent difference between the format between regular season and postseason because in the regular season, you can have a tie. All right, on that note, uh, let's wrap it up. Enjoy Patriots and and uh, Bills tonight. Over-under on flying dildos is 1.5. Over-under on flying dildos hitting the Boogermobile is 0.5. I don't know if you can lay that action anywhere, but I'm sure one of the offshore sites may have something that uh, relates to the chances of flying dildos either hitting the turf and or Booger McFarland on his jacked-up pinky. Enjoy. <laughs> Sorry, Booger. I mean, look, Booger, isn't there a way to fix that? I, I'm telling you, I got people in the barn every week. And the first thing they say when they cut to the shot of Booger McFarland is, what the hell is wrong with that guy's hand and why hasn't he gotten it fixed? And I don't know if it's like a point of pride. You know, you'll see these guys like Dan Hampton, Brian Baldinger, Jim Harbaugh, Tory Holt. These guys with these screwed up fingers that are pointing in every direction possible. It's, it's nauseating. It's not normal. I've got a finger... My middle finger is like cockeyed from the, the, the doctor told me there's a capsule in there that I popped a bunch of times when I would stove it playing basketball and it got a little bit crooked, but it's not like, eh, it's pretty bad, but it's not like pointing South. I mean, it's kind of like a little bit Southeast. It's, you know what, when I really look at it, it's kind of jacked up. Maybe I should get it fixed. Maybe I should be glad that I'm not in the Boogermobile. Anyway, enjoy the game. Enjoy the Boogermobile. Enjoy Booger McFarland's jacked up pinky. Enjoy the uh, the trade deadline. I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. Maybe after the trade deadline ends and we know all the trades, I'll, I'll do some analysis. Let's see how the day goes. And uh, thanks, as always, for your support of PFT. And we'll do this again on Tuesday. We wrap the day here on the set of Football Night in America. Rodney Harris and Tony Dungy, Mike Tirico. And I want to start with the team that is now 8-0. And who knows when that first loss is going to come, but you saw some flaws with the Los Angeles Rams. I did, and I, I, I was talking to Coach Dungy, and he was really excited about their offense. He said they have a complete team. But I'm looking at that defense, Coach, and I just when I look at that defense, they give up a lot of big plays. Aaron Donald is a monster. But if you can double-team him, block him, neutralize him, I don't think they have another dominant player like him, but also they give up a lot of big plays in the secondary. Their secondary does take, take chances. They play a lot of man coverage. They do give up some big plays, but they know they're going to score points. Okay, so they're built for that. They've got excellent special teams. They've got a great field goal kicker. They've got a good punter. They take chances on special teams. They make you defend all that. They've got good coverage units on the special teams. And their defense gets takeaways. They, they have guys undisciplined in the secondary, but they have guys who can catch the ball. And Coach, you've play. been 8-0 before. I've been 8-0 before. What happens on that one day when the offense just isn't clicking? No. And, and that's the thing that I'm looking at because they might – you talked about the schedule. You talked about New Orleans, Seattle, Kansas City. They have to play yeah. pretty tough – next few weeks that's the next three I, i'm guilty I, I i'm sucked in i was sucked in to start the season i bought all the uh, winning the preseason headlines with all the guys that they acquired and when you look at the sunday game against the packers everybody made plays Gurley's playing at an mvp level they had re receivers step up with cooper cup out mm -hmm. you mentioned the uh, big play by aaron donald got a sack and dominican sue is playing well special teams had a fake punt 
They forced him back at the one-yard line. They forced a fumble on the kickoff. I love when all three phases are going and together. They just feel like a together unit. Are they the favorites to you right now? To me, they are. Now, now New Orleans and Minnesota are going to be there and continue to be there, I think, in the NFC as the season goes on. But right right now, I just think the Rams are a, a length ahead of everyone, to use a horse racing term, because the Breeders' Cup is this weekend. I agree with you. <laughs> nice job, Mike. I agree with you. And, you know, we can look at their defense, but... Of all the good offensive teams, in the, they've got a better defense than Kansas City. Mm -hmm. They've got a better defense than New Orleans. So they've got some weak spots, but I, I think they're the most complete well, And Rodney, Rodney made a great point as it relates to what happens that one day when the offense can't score because I know we're still weeks away from it, but they're going to have a home playoff game, and they had one last year, and we saw what happened against the Falcons. Mm -hmm. And you got young guys who don't have a lot of playoff experience, and their experience last year was they lost. And if that all comes back at the wrong time, if against the, the wrong defense that can shut them down or slow them down, that's when it could all fall apart. All it takes for the Rams. is one game, Coach. And all you know, it this takes is one game, but I, I don't think they're going to go undefeated. I think they're going to win enough to get home field advantage. I think they're going to be tough to beat in, in, at home in we, the playoffs. We always say this, but the next three will tell us a lot. Go to New Orleans, take it on the road, see what you do against Breeze and company in the Dome. Then you mentioned Seattle, which is a different mentality team now because they're running the ball effectively. They flipped their script back to their old formula and then the game against Kansas City and Mahomes' machine. And, Mike, I love Seattle. I, I, think, I think this is really an underrated team that no one's really talking about. I think Pete Carroll has done a wonderful job with Seattle. I think the young guys on that team has really come out and just kind of re-energized him. There's no more distractions. I think with all these young guys on the defensive side of the ball, they're very young and athletic and fresh, and now you could just see... That energy come out of Pete Carroll. And think about how they played when they won their Super Bowl. They played hard on defense. They ran to the ball. They made it tough for you to score. Mm -hmm. They pounded the ball with Marshawn Lynch. And then Russell Wilson just made enough dazzling plays to win. That, that's what they're back to. I think he threw 19, 20 passes. 17, and lowest 17, since yeah. November of 2014. And, and three touchdowns, and, and they're scoring like crazy. But it comes from running the ball and playing good defense. Commitment to the run. We all completely dismiss them. That was like, okay, you know. I picked them to win the division, although I'll concede that oh, one okay, now. They're not going to win the division. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but it was no more Legion of Boom. It yeah. was Bennett and the guys up front. Most of those guys are gone. Back. E exactly. All those questions. Can If you sat somebody down and said, okay, we'll take, our, we'll take away Russell Wilson, can you name five Seahawks? Many can't, and right now this team is playing very well. I talked to Pete Carroll at the scouting combine, and that was after they had made a bunch of changes in the coaching staff. And basically the point was you got five straight years of getting to the final eight, so you can cover up a lot of flaws mm -hmm. when you keep getting that far. They didn't make it to the playoffs last year, Rodney, and that's when he decided we got to tear it down. They tore it down to the coaching staff. They tore it down on the roster. And now Russell Wilson told me after the game today, it feels like 2012 all over again where they're building it back up with young guys that we don't know yet, just like we didn't know Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, when the 2012 season started. And I was a, once a young guy playing, and those young guys are hungry because they're hungry to make their names, just like Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, and those guys were young. You, you're very hungry because you want to make a statement. You want people to know who you are, Coach. Oh, it's good. And they've gotten back to simple football. You know, yeah. It's simple on defense. It's simple on offense. And they, they're just playing fundamentally sound right now. And, and I was going to say, Coach, Pete thrives in these situations. You know, just go back to the USC days. Remember, he's one of those few coaches who's come from college ball to the NFL in the last decade. And there are a couple others who has had that success. But that hunger in youth, even though Pete gets older, seems to continue to permeate that team, giving guys a chance. Here's a fifth-round pick. Here's a guy who doesn't fit that perfect template for another team. Finds a place in Seattle. He knows what he wants in corners and in second 
secondaries, go all the way back to his Minnesota roots. That's who Pete Carroll is, a DB coach at heart, and it starts there in this league right now. And also, you know, I, I mentioned distractions, no distractions. When you have a lot of veteran players, especially with the freedom that Pete gives his veteran players, a lot of times those guys have strong personalities and they do and say certain things to become a distraction. With these young guys, they're just, they're taken to coaching. Yeah, and they're and all buying so into what the coach Absolutely. says. Yeah. And I said earlier that we didn't know who Richard Sherman was back in 2012. We first became widely aware of him after they beat the Patriots with the You Mad Bro right. picture that he yeah. posted. So it's going to be Tom Brady going <laughs> against a guy he hasn't played very often. Somebody's going to be saying You Mad Bro to <laughs> each other. What, what do we think? I know it's a week away, but it's going to be the story of the week. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady getting together. Let, let me guess. Let me guess. You like the Patriots. I like both teams, but, I mean, both defenses are, have question marks. I mean, that's what you look at. You know, when, when we talked, Coach, we talked about this being a really high-scoring event, two teams. I think that it's going to take at least 40 points to win. And I, I did not think that Green Bay had the type of defense that could go deal with Tom Brady, but they showed me something against the Rams. The Rams have a lot of skill position players, had a good quarterback, and they, they buckled down and played man-to-man. -man. They didn't win every one, but they got pressure. They disrupted golf. Some things that you have to do against Tom Brady, they showed me they can do. Green Bay's new defensive coordinator, Mike Pettin, he was on Rex, Rex Ryan's staff with the Jets for a long time, yes. so he has plenty of experience going up against Brady, which doesn't mean a heck of a lot because Brady you usually have beats the him. talent to, right. to stop and him. He's, very he's got the scars. He how to play he's very aggressive. And Tom can use that against him. Just, just a quick aside here. Uh, had Aaron Rodgers on my podcast last week, and he was terrific talking about a bunch of stuff. But one thing that struck me, he said Tom Brady's a pioneer. It kind of stopped me in my tracks, but he said, think about what Tom is doing for longevity of players at age 41, 42, and showing guys the roadmap if you want to play this long, especially at the quarterback position, with all the TB12 stuff and the pliability and diet. And I stopped there. I said, pioneer? He said, no, he's changing the way we all think about taking care of our bodies as quarterbacks and as players. And I thought that was really interesting to hear from Rodgers looking at Brady, who we just see as, oh, he keeps going, he's great, as a pioneer at the position. Fascinating perspective from Aaron, who I think is one of the most brilliant guys to talk to in the league. And we need to remember what a special time this is, where we have that pocket of aging quarterbacks who keep finding ways to get it done. And then we've got Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz, the young guys. Yeah. And this is going to last for a couple more years, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. All right, well, that does it for tonight, and we will see you again next week. Have a great week. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.